The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Greetings and welcome to episode 169 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Oh my gosh, we have a doozy of an episode for you today. Yes, uh, you you might have seen it. You may have noticed the time on this one. It is over an hour today. And uh, let me just put it this way. That's cutting it back. <laughs> I had such a good time this week talking with Birmingham, England native J.W. Voice, And we're talking about his debut novel, Ending Samsara. And... I mean, it just, you know, this was one of those talks where you just click with somebody and you're going to hear it come across, I think, how we just clicked. We had such a fun time talking. Everything was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And have you done this or have you said this? I had to go through and edit some things just just for timing because, you know, we're having the conversation and then he would flip it on me. He like takes over the interview and asking me questions and I'm like, oh, yeah, and this and that. But then in editing, I'm realizing, oh, man, you guys don't want to hear about me. We're here to talk about James. So (laughs) I had to do some creative editing here and there to pull as much of my own stuff out of there as I could to put some focus on there. And I think for the most part, there might be one transition that's a little abrupt and you're like, whoa, that that shifted quick. But other than that, everything else is pretty smooth and uh, pretty good. It's a blast. You're going to have a really good time. We went down a lot of rabbit holes. And, you know, and I, I have I have no doubt James is probably going to end up hosting his own writing show sometime because he he's, he's well-informed and uh, a lot of fun to talk with. You're going to hear us talking about dialect in writing, like the <laughs> pronunciation of W, or like here in America, W. Uh, the English and American phrases and classes. Uh, we talk about how history may judge us in time. Uh, teachers who inspired him. And the butterfly effect. And writing that legendary phrase or paragraph in our book that people may, you know, one of these days be quoting from. Uh, not only that, we also uh, talk about refusing to be labeled and staying humble. Just just a great conversation. Uh, James is so wonderful to talk to, and I, I'm looking forward to diving into his book. It, it looks like it's going to be a, a great read, and, uh, you know, hearing his sample chapter today really pulls you in and uh, got, a, got a bit of a cliffhanger ending, so you're going to want to know what happens next. So all that and more coming up here in just a few moments. I'm going to cut some more angles again right now to keep this as short as possible, but I do real quickly need to play the ads for our sponsors who I am so grateful for. That's coming up right now. Hello, friends. Jason here. And I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family, I'm a thriller author, and I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial 
by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals, and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline, narrated by Will Wheaton, the Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell, narrated by David Stifle. Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated by the incredible Ray Porter. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series, narrated by Luke Daniels. It's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Hey, full disclosure, by signing up at audibletrial.com slash sample chapter, the show does get a little monetization, which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show. So you're also helping us out here by signing up. So what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter and start your free 30-day trial today. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much to Scrivener and Audible for uh, helping support this show. I also want to give a big shout out to my podcast partners, Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen other shows, and Project Entertainment, home to about 35 other shows of a wide variety of topics. Uh, shows like this one right here. Hello, is anybody out there? Anybody. This is Jim Cobb. If you're hearing this, the worst has happened. I've recorded a podcast at the end of the world and will broadcast it on channel PEN every Friday. It's all about the apocalypse, books, movies, TV, how much food and water will you need your bunker, all that kind of stuff. Excuse me, sir. You're going to have to keep the noise down. You're in a library and you're scaring the kids. The world hasn't ended yet. Sorry, ma'am. Shh, you're in the library at the end of the world with host Jim Cobb. Fridays, exclusively on Project Entertainment Network. Yes, another fantastic show, one you definitely need to check out. Hey, make sure you click on the link in the show notes to follow all of our sponsors, our podcast friends, and us on social media. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can do so via email at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave me a voicemail at 660-851-1146. And please do so. <laughs> I've been getting some calls lately, but they're all coming from like, you know, fake numbers, ads, uh, marketers uh, asking me, you know, if if I'm looking for dentures and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, marketers, look, you know, are you interested in selling your home? Sample chapter podcast. No, I'm not. Uh, so yeah, give me some, uh, give me some voicemails to play on an upcoming episode, everybody. 
and uh, give me a call. Hey, uh, real quick, I also want to mention, uh, last week I told you all about our Tee Public store. We've got some designs in there for t-shirts and other stuff uh, available. We've got more designs coming soon, but as of March 24th, which will be the day after this episode drops, through the 28th of March, there is a 35% off everything sale going on. Uh, $13 t-shirts, $8 masks, uh, coffee mugs, notebooks, whatever you want. If you want to get something with that Sample Chapter logo on there, or uh, one of the other designs we've got, which is Sample Chapters from all over the world, it's a really neat logo. Uh, my wife actually just got the, a t-shirt of that on a baby blue t-shirt, and it, it looks really good. looks really good. So check those out, and uh, just click that link in the show notes for that. Ah, okay. Time to settle down. <laughs> Let's get us on over to our interview with the wonderful JW Voice. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to another exciting episode. This week, our guest is JW Voice. James William Voice uh, is a writer based in Birmingham, England. Uh, his shorter works have been featured in several anthologies to date, and his latest novel, Ending Samsara, is available right now. We're going to hear all about that and about JW. So, JW Voice, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Wonderful, wonderful. It's a, a sunny day, which is, it's been a week of rain here, and now it's sunny, and I'm feeling so gr so glad to have that sunshine. Can't wait to get out into it later on. How are you? I, I wish I could say the same thing. It's it's dismally great here in Birmingham. <laughs> I live in quite a, it's not the most pleasant looking areas anyway. It's, it's a kind of very industrial sort of town, part of the world, Birmingham, UK. Um, but yeah, it's it's completely gray here. So so not perfect. Oh. I must say, I must say, I love how Americans say W. Like it's brilliant. <laughs> w. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> now now how how would you say w in in england yeah just w like um i mean there's there's not it's they say there's like uh, there's sort of sort of bridge there's a gap between american english and and uk english but there's if the variations are so small really when you, <laughs> like, yeah i uh, think i think here in america we we get a little more w <laughs> yeah, i like it though no w sounds it's a bit more spice isn't it mm. <laughs> w I think that's the difference between American American English. I don't know. It's like I don't want to say more informal, but I think mm -hmm. it's just a bit less stuffy. <laughs> like everything's, <laughs> everything's meant to be sort of, you know, properly enunciated and pronounced in in in, in the uh, the UK version. And I I think I prefer some of the uh, the American ones. Like uh, aluminum, it's just easier, isn't it? <laughs> aluminum. <laughs> aluminum. <laughs> yeah yeah i i think i heard simon Pegg say it that way uh on something here a while back and i was like well what did he just say <laughs> but it's but it's interesting i mean as a writer it's the those little details like that that we pick up on that most of us don't really pay attention to but it becomes important in our writing yeah. uh i was writing a scene the other day with a southerner uh from america and I just automatically in my head, I just came out where he, instead of saying, how do you do? He said, how do? I do. <laughs> and that's, that's a very Southern greeting. Um, I know my grandparents. And so that was their thing was how do. 
and uh, it just depends on where you're from and, and it but it adds that extra little bit of flair yeah of course like the um i can't remember who it was someone that had read my book recently was saying um was saying yeah i enjoyed it but i, I noticed i did notice one mistake the uh someone said uh oh he'll be really pissed about that but obviously you meant to write pissed off didn't you and i was just like no the character's american <laughs> so <laughs> the way where, where we would say if you're annoyed oh you're pissed off obviously you guys just say pissed <laughs> he's really, really pissed today like it's, it's more like that isn't it yeah which is it's, there's those that obviously back to going back to that point of the differences like it's that's where a lot of the confusion sort of lies as well where pissed over here can also mean that you're drunk i don't know if you have that yes <laughs> yeah yeah i think uh i think they'll say i, I hear that once in a while and oh, really? somebody yeah somebody will say uh, uh pissed drunk yeah okay fair enough <laughs> but, um, yeah it's it's i don't i don't actually know how a lot of these differences have started i suppose it's just what happens when there's such a such a, a gap between obviously you know colonies or whatever it was back then but and it's just developed um but yeah we, i was talking to someone about sort of like the the class system as well and like money because over here i don't know if you're aware but the the class system is quite an important thing like as in people you know love to be considered maybe slightly slightly more refined than they actually are mm. whereas in in I, I think in the us it's not necessarily so like i mean for example you don't have like we would have what you call like a an upper class accent like you don't tend to really have that over there do you i mean billionaires could perfectly it's perfectly acceptable for them to have like a southern drawl or, or whatever like yeah president. yeah i think you're right yeah I, I think as far as as a speech goes i think the the way one will, will speak um doesn't come across as much depending on on your maybe depending on your education but then again there are a lot of uh wealthier people who still speak very poorly um <laughs> 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 uh, but uh yeah i think uh, more in america it's more um the stuff that you have um you may not yeah. be very well off but you got a decent car and you got the latest iphone yeah and, uh, you know maybe a, a name brand shirt or something that looks like a name brand uh clothing uh so you can kind of put on the facade that maybe you're better off than you are <laughs> <laughs> I, in a way though i like I, I think i prefer that because obviously in the uk it's like people tend to sort of sniff out what your sort of background is from uh, not not obvious things like that, like you know what watch you're wearing or whatever. It's more to do with your accent and perhaps what school you went to. Um, big thing is where whether you've been sort of privately educated or publicly educated, which is super confusing over here because public schools are our private schools that it's just it's like a lot of things in 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 the sort of english language it, it makes it's like the reverse <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're a public school boy that means that you're basically posh you're upper class and you've gone to you know a, a private school which is just confusing but um but yeah there's uh there's a lot of snobbery i don't know if you obviously you've you must you, you can't have been uh uh, blind to the, to what's been going on with the royal family lately and all that kind of stuff. Oh my uh, goodness, yeah, that's yeah, been, insane. Been fascinating to hear. Uh, it's funny because I guess 
<clears throat> for for me here in uh, in Missouri, it's it's kind of ah, uh, you know, is, is it any of my business? But it's kind of fascinating. It's like I, I want to know. And my wife is a very uh, she loves the royal family. Like going okay. back, she's a she's a huge the Tudors. She loves that whole yeah, thing. Oh, cool. She can yeah she can recite like all kinds of stuff. So she's very much with the the royalty and, and knowing what's going on so she knows more about this than i do and yeah. and it's funny because you know you look back in history it's like okay yeah well that i i'm into but something going on today for me i'm more like oh i don't know if that's any of my business really <laughs> so. i kind of feel the same way you know like uh it's yeah it's it is interesting and i mean everyone i suppose has got their own story and I mean, we've mostly just heard, you know, the pair of them and, and what their story is. Hmm. But, and and, the, and the, the, as usual, the, the royalty don't usually respond to things like this. So they haven't given, you know, much, much of a defense. Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of it was true, completely true. Like it's, it's just such an old fashioned sort of organization, like institution. They probably do have some quite, slightly you know backwards views and things but um <laughs> but yeah you mentioned the Tudors I think they're far more interesting in that, that <laughs> like just all bloodshed isn't it and just yeah like uh when the when the royalty actually had power and they could you know just fight against laws and then just decide oh you know I'm not married anymore or <laughs> like, decide to just behead your wife because you weren't happy with her. <laughs> like, that's really, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, and that's where my wife and I differ. That she's very much the uh, you know classic uh, English history. I am much more, and maybe it's maybe it's the male in me. I don't know. I'm much more into the American history of like the old West and things like that. And she wants to tell me like, well, but yeah, but that was such a brutal time and. Yeah, people would just kill them. Like, wait a minute, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're I do like, respect the um, the kings like back in the old days, though, because the ones that actually used to go into battle, so that mm. you can kind of get behind. Like, I think, like if your kings like ready to, you know, I mean, I'm I'm sure they'll probably protect it a little bit and and what have you, but the fact that they actually get onto a horse and swing a sword. Oh like, sure, yeah. Seems, that seems a lot more impressive than, you know, just someone that basically is just it's just a PR campaign, isn't it? The whole thing is just like, <laughs> just look at this massive palace. I'm gonna shake hands with this person. I'm gonna kiss this baby, like you know, like a president kind of thing. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's become now, isn't it? It's just like this big novelty. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we'll see too much of that anymore. Of the, the days <laughs> of uh, yeah. A world leader yeah, jumping on the front lines. All right, follow me. Let's go. <laughs> I suppose the one difference is that um, Prince Harry, the you know the one that it's mm -hmm. all it's all about, is uh, he was an Apache helicopter fighter. Um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's I suppose that's like our modern day equivalent. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I mean, I hear that you're quite protected in those situations, but I'm. I'm I've heard also that he's, you know, he's used a gun and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's something. He's willing to do that. It's, it's, it's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And that, uh, you know, we, and we can only hope that uh, should trouble arise, that maybe our leaders will actually rise up and do 
what we want them to do and, and lead us in, you know, something like, so let's say uh, an alien invasion comes about, you know, we'll, hopefully they'll all work together and, and lead us. And yeah, and, uh, <laughs> now we become what, one world again. <laughs> I think that's what we need, isn't it? We need like <laughs> common enemy, like an intergalactic enemy. So we can, uh, maybe that'll be the only thing that'll bring us all together. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise we're left with uh, waiting for us to be long gone and see you know we'll never know what how history looks upon us uh, yeah regardless of whatever face or facade we're putting up today only uh history will be able to tell um, who we really are or, or what they really thought of us <laughs> so so you uh how, how did you get started writing um so right writing's always been what i've enjoyed to be honest with you it was um it's kind of the only the only subject in school that I uh, I enjoyed or was was kind of any good at. Um, uh, I noticed that my teachers, because I wasn't I was I was a particularly bad student to be honest with you, and and uh, and for more reasons than just not enjoying the subjects. Just like we used to, it was uh, so talking about the public private school system. So we went to a comprehensive, which is what you'd call a uh, public school, and it was a it was a particularly sort of I'd say rough one, a lot of fights sort of breaking out and, you know, <laughs> and, and, and things like that. And, and me and my friends, we kind of, we, yeah, we, we sort of bunked off a lot, like just ditch lessons, you know, went outside with the, the fields to smoke and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, but English was the only lesson that I actually, I enjoyed and I felt like I could, you could get good grades with so and it turned out that my English teacher helped me out a lot with that in terms of the deadlines I know that for my final assignment in what we call our GCSEs which is like what you do before you then go on to like higher education um, after school um, uh, she basically extended one of my deadlines so I was meant to have handed in this assignment, this assignment like for whatever date it was and I didn't do it and she sort of knew that I was good at the subject she didn't want me to fail so she kind of just like let me off by a week which is really <laughs> bad when you think about it in terms of like, the other kids but um I think it was that and just and getting good grades so I got the highest grades as well in English at the, the time and um yeah I just I knew that I was good at it but it didn't I didn't actually start writing for a few years after I'd finished school and stuff um I did I went on to university and I did obviously written assignments and uh, I did like a science-based course, but the um, I enjoyed the actual essay writing probably more than the, the you know the other subject matter, you know, actually learning things. Um, mm. I enjoyed just writing the, and then yeah, it kind of just after leaving university, I I, uh, I sort of just decided to get back into it. So I was probably early twenties then. I mean, I'm thirty-one now, so it was probably about a decade ago. And uh, yeah, I, just, I was just like right. I'm going to write a novel. That was the first thing I decided to do. I didn't skip to all the short stories. <laughs> Went into full-blown world-building novel, <laughs> which is probably a bit, yeah, like running before I could walk. Um, but yeah, so I uh, I knocked out a 200,000-word novel straight away. Um, like, I haven't really looked at it since, so that was like great. <laughs> but it was, I think that was quite a good, I mean, it's a steep learning curve, so 
um that that helped and then yeah just eventually started writing short stories entering them in sort of competitions and submitting them for certain you know anthologies etc and uh and yeah and it's brought me to to now sort of 10 years later with this with this book all right well so do you feel like that teacher inspired you helped inspire you your desire uh to yeah. continue working 100 percent. yeah yeah it was uh yeah no she was she was very good like uh i, I need to i need to sort of send her a copy of the book to be honest with you and just uh, a little thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah yeah i'd definitely say that because um i don't want to diss my school too much but the uh the standard of teaching wasn't amazing across the board and the way the teachers spoke to well a lot of the teachers spoke to the students wasn't always the best it was uh it wasn't the most inspiring sort of environment um but she was she was really she was she was good and I think she was the type of teacher that noticed that if you cared about the subject and you did want to get into it like she'd help you like if you if you just messed around she was like no <laughs> screw you <laughs> but yeah uh, well that's great though and it's it's uh that seems to be a common theme uh a couple of things that you said uh with authors I've spoken to there's there's always been there seems to be a lot uh, somebody in our past that has uh, given us that extra spark and inspiration that pushes on I even myself now the first novel that you wrote the 200,000 is that the uh, is that ending samsara or is that a different book no, no that's like uh I don't know if I'll ever revisit that I might I've, I've, thought about, <laughs> I've thought about it recently I think I'd have to basically butcher it like one well, up butcher it like take it apart completely um probably change a lot of things because uh because yeah it was, it was it was very fresh and like, mm. I don't know if I don't know about you and your own sort of experience but um when when I sort of delved into it you kind of delve into it with with a lot more confidence than you probably should have <laughs> I don't know if oh, you gosh, yeah. like you get in and you and you start writing you think okay I'm gonna write something amazing and then you and then you sit <laughs> And everybody's then, gonna love this yeah, i'm gonna be so rich <laughs> like this paragraph is gonna be like legendary people are gonna talk about it and then, <laughs> and then you you finish and then you maybe send it to a couple of people and they're like yeah that's okay blah, blah, blah. i didn't like this and this and you're like really i thought this was groundbreaking but like oh my god it humbles you but that humbling is good and it's and it i think that's how you should be i think writers should probably stay humble their entire careers to to keep writing good stuff i think the moment you start believing your own hype or whatever i think that's when you kind of start losing your audience maybe i don't know that's mm -hmm. that's just how i how i look at certain authors i mean because if you if you look at authors that are still pretty much on top of their game after you know years and years um stephen king's a good example like he Whenever you speak to him, in, 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 uh, whenever you hear him interview, sorry, he always talks like someone that's that's still, still just trying to please their audience, still just looking for that compelling story. He's not doing, obviously, he's not doing. He's hundred percent not doing it for the money because he's got enough of that. <laughs> just like he's just he's he's just into the craft and he wants to improve. And and he he, he doesn't talk about himself in like 
because obviously he's one of the most prolific writers ever like he's like the, the things he's created are obviously you know mm-hmm. say what you want about him you, you can say he's not particularly highbrow or whatever but the just the diversity of his work sort of speaks for itself and he's just quite self-deprecating he's, he's sort of like yeah you know uh yeah there's a, there's a lot of people better than me or you know I, I'm pretty good at this but I'm, I'm not very good at this <laughs> so there's someone a billionaire like who's been doing it for what you know 50 years probably to uh yeah to to be that humble yeah he, he's quite quite incredible and I, I read his book on writing about oh my gosh 15 years ago or more me too. and uh and really enjoyed it yeah and then a few years ago I got a uh <laughs> I had an audible free credit and I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I should listen to this. I'll, I'll listen to it. Cause he narrates the on writing book and it was a totally different experience. Uh, and it just, it was one of the rare times where I listened to it. I thought about it when it was over and then I hit play again and spent the next week, just kind of like really listening intently. And, uh, usually I will work and listen to a book or a podcast in the background, but I had to that next week, I, I just had to like sit down and like take notes and like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. It was like experiencing the book for the first time in a whole different way. And and <clears throat> and I think part of that is just my own life experiences that happened in those that time frame. But hearing it from him or hearing the author read something, it it's it, it gives you something, kind of like what you were saying, where when we write something <laughs> and maybe we're there with somebody who's reading it and they flip past the page that we thought was brilliant, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, you know, and we're like, Oh wait, didn't you like that part? And like, Oh, which part? <laughs> so hearing it from the author that you get to enunciate or put that extra inflection into something that you wanted to emphasize. And, and then, uh, you know, I can, I was able to pick up on things that he was talking about a little more and yeah, it was really incredible. It's, it's interesting you say that about um, you know, hearing it from his own, you know, voice. I, I've, I've watched a few sort of readings he's done as well. And I was just, just jealous. Like, he, <laughs> one take, one take every time. Like, literally watched him uh, do uh, one of his short stories, which I presume is probably about five or 6,000 words, something like that. And, like... Let's say it was six thousand. Six thousand words, no mistakes. <laughs> like, which I just—I mean, obviously he's been doing it all his life, but but yeah, I couldn't help being but be impressed by that. But the the bigger thing was as well—he's doing it in front of this big audience. Like, imagine he's sitting on a stage in front of thousands of people, or probably at least several hundred, and just perfectly reading out six thousand words a story <laughs> like oh yeah no, no little stutters or anything like that like it's just yeah he's obviously he's obviously had a lot of practice <laughs> like it's impressive well that, that's my plan eventually one of these days i'll i'll have this show on the air it'll be like like graham norton and i'll have the authors will come on and read and it'll all be live and you know no more recording and editing and all. no <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're still sticking with the uh, the editing part. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know how. I don't know how authors will go up before a crowd and do a reading, unless you're just that confident in it. You know, maybe they've practiced it yeah. and yeah. You know, they're just going to enjoy themselves. But yeah, it's really something. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll we'll, we'll both be there one day. <laughs> <laughs> Infinite jest. Have you read that for David Foster Wallace? I I have not. No, but I'm gonna write that down. It's a well, it, it's a commitment. I'll uh, I'll tell you beforehand. <laughs> before you delve into it, it's uh, it's like uh, it's it's absolutely massive, um, and it's it's one. It, I I enjoy it. It's up there, probably my my probably my top top five maybe to be fair mm. books I've ever read but it's it's so long and it's also got basically a um it's it, it's got so many references that it's kind of like it's got this massive sort of index at the back of it just explaining each each kind of reference it was written in the sort of uh I think mid-90s but but yeah just reminding me when you said about something that's thrilling but has a lot of jokes in and I like I do tend to like sort of dark humor as well if it's done well like in <laughs> books if they you know because obviously they might be talking about sort of heavy topics mm-hmm. but I think it's helpful if you can kind of make light of, of certain things sometimes and like if you do it well and artfully then then, it, then, it, then it's good yeah yeah I, I agree and it's I know sometimes it's not everybody's going to get that but uh it sure is nice when you get that one person who will like email you or make a comment and go like, Oh my gosh, that scene where, uh, you know, they're trying to defuse the bomb and somebody said this joke. It was just like, Oh, I, I was right there. I understood that. And I got it. And, and <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. you know, or whatever the scene is like, that's always, that's always fun. You get, even if just one person gets it like, yes, a little bit of redemption. Somebody got it. So. <laughs> yeah. 100%. yeah, I feel vindicated for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, me and that one person in the world, we got it. We're, we're connected now. <laughs> so now you also write a lot of short stories and flash fiction. Uh, yeah. t- tell us a little bit about the, about your uh, short stories that you, that you, uh, that you enjoy. What, what do you enjoy most? Um, so the, I can't remember who I read. It's an author. It might've been, uh, George R. R. Martin actually, um, Game of Thrones writer, he, he uh, said that short stories um, are important because they teach you brevity. Like most problems with, with authors is, most of the problems that authors have basically is that they tend to be verbose and they like to just, you know, go on these long sort of complicated winding sentences. Whereas you know, it's, it's like, why why use 10 words when you can use five? Like, can get your point across a lot quicker. And obviously, because you're confined to, you know, maybe even just, well, flash, flash fiction could be, you know, a couple of hundred words or whatever. You've got to make every single word count. It's got to pop, like, and uh, and yeah, so I think it's, it's a good learning exercise. It's also good for, um, so I'll do a, a, a minute plug here, like, if, um, you can basically put it online and it doesn't take much time out of people's sort of days to to just have a look at a you know a thousand words i mean a thousand words is less than most sort of news articles so so you just you, you know you can just pop on there i remember the um i think another inspiration was uh oh what's the author's name now um the guy that wrote the the martian do you know what i'm talking about oh yeah andy weir Andy Weir yeah that's it so he um have you ever read um it's called The Egg um a short story by him oh uh, no I have not 
excellent short story and I read it through the weirdest way like I've got absolutely no idea it was on some sort of this is like a long time ago um I don't think it was quite MySpace level it wasn't quite that far <laughs> it was like back when Facebook was like a a really new popular thing I think or something and uh I was on some sort of you know post or thread or whatever it was and uh someone had commented basically the entire story like as a comic. <laughs> and I remember just being like like this guy's written like a really long comic what the hell and like clicked on it and just kind of got pulled in by the first sentence and uh and then I realized oh he's it's a short story and I was just like uh just ended up carrying on reading it and reading it and read it because it was so compelling and <laughs> like I mean it was probably like a five minute read but I'd just been trapped into reading it really randomly on some kind of Facebook comment and it had captivated me enough to read the whole thing and then find out exactly who the author was. I was like, oh yeah, Sandy Weird. He wrote The Martian, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, it was, uh, but yeah, if you ever get, definitely read that. But, but my point was, I think that he basically stuck it up on his website and I think that's what actually kind of, where his big break came from. Like he, he must have obviously promoted his website, et cetera, but he um, pulled everyone in with that one short story, The Egg. And uh, and I think that was kind of like one of his sort of big foundations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I see you have a lot of your short stories available on your website, which is yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'm going to start adding more. But um, but yeah, so this is where the small plug came in. Sorry, that I didn't, I didn't actually do a second ago. <laughs> yeah, just uh, jwvoice.com, voice. Um, uh, yeah, and so you can look at flash fiction stories. You know, there's um, little tiny ones that will literally take you like two minutes to read. And then there's slightly longer ones. But but you, you're you probably not going to be on there for more than sort of 10, 15 minutes reading one story. Um, but yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do that with think with all my all my shorter works. I'm just going to eventually just get them all up on there. I think there's probably about nine or ten on there at the moment. But I'm I'm going to going to add a few. I think this week. Um, yeah. So so I've got. I mean, eventually, if depending obviously what happens. I mean, you know as as well as me, you don't know what's going to happen in our in our sort of future. Hopefully, you want to try and make it make it more of a name for yourself. Get out there. But uh, uh, hopefully. Um, I can maybe put them in an anthology sort of one day together but for the time being I'm sort of happy just sticking them on there for free there you go and that, that still is it's a great way to uh, to there's people with books that they give away for free uh, just to get that little bit of extra attention and yeah. Uh, yeah that's a great way to do it though what what do you like to write when it comes to uh, to your short stories or, or flash fiction is there a, a certain genre or, or specific something yeah you probably have to describe most of the stuff i write as a as a thriller but um thrillers the yeah the main sort of uh yeah like i think you, you said the same thing a thriller with the odd joke in there maybe but um <laughs> but uh i'll try my hand at anything i mean there's there's a couple of like i try to balance out the dark stories that i write with with lighter ones that are a bit more feel good and not so you know depressing <laughs> um so i've got uh so there's a few light ones and I've, I've, I've put on the website which one um you know whether it's because it'll have the genre sort of thriller whatever or i think there's a couple of romance ones on there i think but nothing 
nothing too soppy i'll just point out <laughs> but, uh, but yeah i like to i like to be versatile um like or, or at least try to be and uh i don't want to sort of ever pigeonhole myself in one category like i mean I, I have respect for certain you know the big big authors that are, are known for one thing like in particular and that's what their audience expects of them and that's what they're going to deliver but um I, I I don't think I'd ever want to be put in that sort of that category. Like uh, I'd like to sort of mix it up as much as I can. I I agree. I agree. And you know, and we've been talking about Stephen King, and and a lot of people know him as the king of horror, but yeah. he's so much more. And oh my god! Yeah. yeah. Even back in the day, I mean, he would write under a pseudonym just to write something different to have out yeah. other stories. And now that everybody knows who he is, he can just put out whatever he wants and. They know what, you know, it's still, it's just Stephen King. So maybe it's romance, maybe it's a children's story or something completely different. It's, it's just King. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think he's, he has successfully broken out of that sort of horror type cast, to be honest, because um, he, uh, I mean, it's the guy that wrote Carrie, The Shining, and also The Shawshank Redemption. She's <laughs> like, <laughs> like completely different, like, um, I think someone said to him once, he was speaking to someone on, like an old lady was asking him about his job and he said, oh, I'm a writer. And she was just like, oh, what have you written? He said, oh, uh, my most recent one is whatever it was. Um, I can't remember exactly, but it was one of his horrors. And she's like, oh, I don't like stuff like that. He said, she said, yeah, it's, oh, that sounds horrible. It doesn't, doesn't sound good. Like, uh, you know what I like? The Green Mile. That's a good. <laughs> no idea that he'd written it or had it had anything to do with it. Like, but, uh, but yeah, so that's that's pretty impressive, I think, to just to be able to you know not not be stuck in a in a box like that. Uh, well, I mean, you know, and and I think that's a great thing to aspire to that uh, that maybe we can eventually reach a point um, where it, it's just our name that defines us, not one specific work uh in particular but it's like oh yes this is a this is a voice book it's it's uh it's gonna be incredible you're gonna love it so and i mean speaking of writing the legendary phrase or uh, uh paragraph i i love this quote on here that uh, comes from your book how significantly can you affect another person's life without ever meeting them which is a quote everybody from uh <clears throat> from james's book ending samsara that's a great phrase. I love that. Oh, cool. So that's basically the premise of the book. So that's the that's the whole premise in in one sentence, which is uh, basically. So the the book's all about kind of six degrees of separation and uh, small world theory, and although so I'm not I'm not a religious or a particularly I wouldn't call myself like a spiritual person, but. I think there's quite a lot to be learned from sort of Buddhism and a lot of these like old traditions in terms of just karma, for example, like it sounds like quite a sort of airy fairy, you know, sort of thing. Um, just because you do one good thing doesn't mean something good's going to come back to you, that kind of thing. I, I get that. But if you just think about how connected we are with everyone, like, I mean, I'm talking to you now, like thousands of miles away, like, with, with such a closely connected planet, especially obviously with the advent of the internet, it's getting closer and closer. But there, there aren't many steps between you and someone that lives 
on the complete opposite side of the planet. So mm -hmm. if you do do good things, especially within your own community, there's quite a good chance that they will come back on you. And obviously the, the reverse works too. So, so yeah, so it's just this idea. So the, the, the central character, basically um, the point is that he hears that, that comment or that question, sorry, um, as like a header on a, on a Reddit thread. And he's, he's a bit conceited and a, a little bit arrogant. And he basically thinks like, what? No, that's like, if you, if you don't meet people, if they're outside your circle, like you're not gonna affect their lives. Like uh, they're not gonna affect my life. Like, so, and, and a lot of the novel is him basically learning how completely wrong he is. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, just, it's just all about the six uh, central characters and, how little tiny things that you might think are trivial could affect someone else, you know, thousands of miles away without them even knowing it, without them ever meeting you. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, and books are a great way to do that. We very much like you're phrasing, we, we never know how we're touching somebody else's life. Um, and it's funny that you would, <laughs> you know, just, I, I don't know how you want to describe this. It's, like you're saying, whether this is something spiritual or whatever, how this is coming up now for me to be hearing this and seeing that phrase, because I was just talking about this like two weeks ago, oh, cool. um, doing an interview on another show. The guy who runs that show was one of the people that inspired me to get uh, to do my own show and to um, uh, get back into writing some advice that got me motivated to get back into writing. And then he quit doing that for a while. But I was inspired by that and got real about some of my writing and then started my own show. And, and then years later, he starts a new show and, and I reached out to him. I was like, Hey, this is great. So he asked me on his show and I just wanted to take a minute and tell him like, look, you don't know this, but I mean, you've really inspired me and my books and my show is, is all, you know, in direct relation to things that you've said in the past on your show. And, and he had no idea. And it's, oh, so it, cool. it's, it's funny how, you know, and then here we are talking about, you know, this exact thing. And, and that's kind of what and you're saying. That's what your book is about. And it's that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th I think it is. A, it's a it's a fascinating subject because um, we like to think that there's so that, that we're so different. And, you know, that that I don't know if you had this term or sort of this, this idea of solipsism, where it's basically you kind of think that the world revolves around you. Like you only see the world from your eyes. So mm -hmm. you, yeah, you, you kind of, you take a lot of things more personally than maybe you should. And you kind of think, oh, it won't happen to me or, or wow, it's going to be different because it's me. Like that's the kind of attitude that most humans have. But we're, we're like exceptionally, well, that's probably the wrong word. Like we're extremely similar, like in so many, different ways and obviously we can we can affect each other in so many different ways like and uh, I think it's probably like a good idea to to remember that absolutely yeah we, it's almost like a butterfly effect that we have no idea whether it's we're the butterfly and and we're flapping our wings and causing the ripples or if we're a part of the ripples in somebody else's um yeah window or <laughs> yeah yeah, I think there's a uh, a comedian as well that said that basically <laughs> everyone thinks they're 
the the lead actor i think he was talking about like denzel washington he's like everyone <laughs> everyone thinks they're man on fire <laughs> like <laughs> probably just the extra in the background <laughs> like, <laughs> right which is a bit harsh but like uh but yeah it's it's funny really <laughs> <laughs> well so now um how long did it take you to uh, to write this um, so any any samsara probably took about a year, um, maybe slightly longer with you know kind of editing and things, but uh, but yeah, the the story was down in a, in a year. Um, I, it was so I don't know what your writing style is. If you're a kind of um, seat of your pants kind of writer like Stephen King, or if you're a big planner, but I I don't really know what I am because every book seems to have a different process, like. Uh, for Samsara, I kind of, I was forced to write it in, in quite a strict, um, almost formulaic way, mm -hmm. um, because basically I set out with the intention that these six characters have all, all got to like affect each other. So um, character A will have to affect character B at some point, do something to do that. And then character B in turn will have to do something to affect character A. And so when you write with that intention in mind, like it means that you basically have, you can only order it in a certain way. So you're kind of confined to ordering it so each character can do what you'd set out to do. Um, so, so learning that, I basically, the first thing I did was create a pattern. So it was just, you know, like, like I was using sort of ABC. So it would be like A to A to C, then C to D. And then like, if, if you know what I mean, and basically, uh, uh, with that, so it, it almost sounds like mass. It's like because there were six characters, that meant that there'd be thirty chapters in total, and then I worked worked through it that way. So it's so yeah, that that sounds like quite a like I say like a form formulaic way of doing things, which it is. But um, most of the time, I prefer to just sit down and then just let the words kind of flow. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the idea of sequels is a big thing as well. Isn't it? <laughs> like we sometimes you just want to move on to something else and then mm -hmm. people saying oh i like this well when are we going to see more about of these characters in particular and you're like oh i hadn't planned on it at all to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah by the time that person's holding the book in their hand i'm somewhere else now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mind is no longer connected to that character totally. yeah <laughs> So what uh, what is next for you? Do you have plans for? Uh... Yes, yes. I'm I'm already um, like you say. I'm, I'm, I'm saying things. I'm already into a completing a new novel. I think I'm about 120,000 words in. And you know when you're like mm. you're writing it and you're like, how long is this going to be? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got I don't I can't see the end yet. Really, like I've got a, a vague idea of how I want it to end, but um, yeah, it's it's mounting like the the word counts mounting and I'm happy with the with a lot of the words and uh, expressing a lot of things that I want to express but uh but yeah this one would be what what you call less plot so samsara is completely plot driven like I think that would be you know uh I mean there's character development in there but it is it's all based on the plot whereas uh this current one that I'm writing is is totally character driven so it's all just about personal transformations and, and it's it they it starts off with these three characters when they're when they're basically children and then it 
you follow them throughout their lives and uh and yeah so it's 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 kind of more like without trying to be pretentious I mean it's more like social commentary and kind of how it is in the UK so it's all based in the in the kind of the three characters are English and and it's kind of like we were talking about earlier actually about the kind of the class system um because I think it's it's it is an interesting thing and it's just like how just the idea of judging someone based on uh, you know how they were brought up in the sense of what schools they went to like uh how they speak etc just seems so bizarre and stupid to me like that mm. it's it's a good thing to to comment on i think and uh and yeah so so over here we've got um we'd call working class what you guys call uh like blue collar okay so, um so obviously so what i've done is one character is like a working class uh, blue collar blue collar character um then we've got um another character is what we call sort of middle class but middle class is different to us i think how what you call middle class um it's, it's so confusing like is more yeah. kind of working class because our middle class is actually quite posh like as in it's like quite you're quite well spoken like like better spoken than i would be like uh kind of thing and um and you're quite refined and your your parents have got a fair a fair bit of money if you're if you're middle class uh because then you've got the upper echelon which is you know upper class in the uk which is like there's no hardly anyone's upper class you've got like royalty it's got certain like nobles and dignitaries and you know people that live in like these insane manners like like blue-blooded people and you can't you can't really be uh, you can't work your way into that. If you were born working class or middle class, you can't earn enough money and then become upper class. It doesn't work like that. Like you mm. have to have been born into it. So it's like this secret society almost of people that are just snobs, basically. People that, <laughs> that just, yeah, but yeah. Like I don't obviously tire everyone with the same brush, but like it's just an interesting, I just find it fascinating that, that we've got this kind of system and it's just yeah it's weird so I, I wanted to kind of explore that in this latest novel so yeah long story short that's, <laughs> that's <laughs> long story long as it turns out that's what I'm writing at the moment but that's a that's a great thing to explore and especially when it comes to characters and you get into those stereotypical ideals of somebody and then you play with it because what we see may not be who they really are yeah which which is a lot of fun when it comes to storytelling and make that little twist like oh you thought this was just a dog walker nope. yeah <laughs> they're a serial killer <laughs> you, know, you never know <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> well that's great you'll have to let us know when that uh, when that comes out and uh, that way we can let everybody know that uh, that your next book is available awesome well yeah. meanwhile where where do people go to find and follow you um yeah so i'm so oh, i've been terrible with social media like basically i haven't do anything with it for a long time i've finally just started to, to jump on that bandwagon like a bit too late but um but yeah so i'm um i'm on, on uh, instagram now and uh uh where else twitter but i think instagram is probably the best best place to find me I've, I've started posting on there now just things i've been reading if i post a new short story and then um then you've just got jwvoice.com as well um yeah easy way to remember it. I'd, 
person that I spoke to on my last podcast sort of reminded me <laughs> but uh so she thought my name was fake like as in she thought it was, uh, <laughs> it was a pseudonym as in like uh because because she was like oh you're clearly a fan of James Joyce the Irish writer <laughs> and, you, and you've been a spin on that and I'm like no because <laughs> because obviously there's just one spelling different instead of uh Joyce it's, uh, it's it's voice with a v but yeah so it's v-o-y-c-e um yeah so jwvoice.com um and then yeah Instagram just jw voice it's handy because it's not a very common name so you know the handles are easy to get <laughs> <laughs> wonderful all right well we'll have uh, we'll have links for all that in the show notes everyone so that way you can get in there follow uh james and uh, of course get to his website and uh check out some of these short stories and then of course hop over to amazon and uh grab the book and follow him find out what he's got uh, coming up next James, thank you so much for coming on. I, I could just talk to you for hours. I mean, same. It's just, I feel the same way, Jason. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's such a, a it's you know, it, it goes along with with your book. I mean, the connections that we make, we never know when we're gonna find somebody that's just like that common spirit and like, oh yes, we have so much we can talk about. Yeah, that's but awesome. Eventually, I've got to bring this to an end, and uh, otherwise, <laughs> yeah. we're gonna do a three-hour podcast yeah. episode. <laughs> 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 but thank you again for coming on and. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, time for me to hand the floor over to my guest, JW Voice with Ending Samsara. Marcus ended the call, fighting a fierce impulse to vomit. It took him several minutes to overcome the trembling in his legs. Although his heart rate had resumed its normal pace, his stomach remained unsettled as he reread the article on his phone. The man wasn't lying. Frantically, he'd started to gather stuffed bags of his belongings running outside with them through the back door of the house. He had no time to defend his behavior to Matilda. She just stood by the door watching him pass her, seemingly waiting for an explanation. Come on, I said we have to go now. He said tomorrow, I just pack all your shit right now. If you don't need it, leave it. I wanna be out of here in less than an hour. An hour? No, I can't. Tilled, this isn't up for debate. I don't have time to go into it right now. Just get moving. Matilda looked like she was about to argue. Please! She threw her hands in the air and started sorting small items into a pile. Thankfully, Marcus had already managed the difficult part in the early hours. The produce and equipment was all safety on board. He'd stored all the pre-packaged items under the floor and set up his chosen plants with UV lamps in the upper deck. Tens of thousands of pounds worth of illegal horticulture, all methodically packed away. He'd loaded bin bags, backpacks, duffel bags and holdalls. Just about every type of carrier he had at his disposal was filled to the brim. His newly purchased, but by no means new, motorhome was parked at the back of his property, blocking at least three of the shabby graffiti-covered garages. It took him eight or nine trips, but he thought he'd gathered everything, his life the foreseeable future, all crammed into his 32 by eight foot space. As Marcus ran outside with the last of his personal gear, Tilde was slowly organizing a suitcase. When he returned, she was motionless at the back door with a case still open in front of her. Come on, Marcus snapped. What are you doing? I just don't see why I have to go this second. We've been safe for nearly two weeks now. No one has tried to break in. You're not even sure yourself that they know where we live. You're right, Tilde. Those men, the ones that want to kill me, I can't be certain they do know where we live. He pointed towards the front of the house. 
and have no proof that van outside has anything to do with them. We ignored Tilde's clear intention to speak up. But now, as it turns out, we have another person to add to our growing list of enemies. He paused and raised his voice slightly. And this guy knows exactly how to find us. Matilda frowned. Who? So unless you want to wait around, he said even louder, to find out what his plan is, I suggest you stop questioning me and pack your goddamn suitcase like I've been asking you. Marcus glanced at his wristwatch. You have 15 minutes. He hated being so short with her. It felt like reprimanding an infant for mild disobedience. Is there no way you could just come back and get me tomorrow? Marcus ran his hand down his face. He groaned, but it came out as more of a growl. What are you saying now? Someone needs to be here in the morning. Why? Jay's expecting an important delivery. I told him to send it here and I'd sign for it. With all due respect, Tilde, fuck Jay's delivery. But I promised I'd be in. It's his livelihood. He could be in a lot of trouble if he doesn't. If it was so important to him, he should have made sure he was around to receive it. You can call him later. Right now, you have 10 minutes to get yourself packed and sitting that motorhome or, or what, she said defiantly. They faced each other in a standoff. Tilde's large brown eyes glistened under the light and her bottom lip quivered ever so slightly. Just move, Marcus shouted, so loud and forcibly that it made her flinch. She didn't argue with him after that. In fact, she didn't say another word for some time. Under normal circumstances, the silent treatment infuriated Marcus. At present, however, an intense tunnel vision kept him indifferent. He'd specifically asked for the motorhome to be parked at the back of the building, away from the dubious fan out front. Although, witnessing the sheer size of the monstrosity for the first time had made him realise that even straddling most of the pavement, it would have blocked off their road. This colossal camper was a significant upgrade from the ones he'd browsed previously, and the price had been suspiciously low for the spec. No surprise when considering the seller. From the outside, it was a stark and ugly spectacle. Silver scratches and patches of rust were the only distractions from the unremitting greyness of its body. The interior was nothing to swoon over either. Dismal grey colouring had claimed this too, sweeping across all its walls and carpeting. The ostentatious pine woodwork seemed more in keeping with the early 90s rather than 2007 when it was supposedly built. It was unsightly, unfashionable, and he soon found that its sheer immensity made basic manoeuvring a chore. Despite all this, Marcus was head over heels in love. For its age, the mileage was exceptionally low and the engine ran smoothly. Every electrical component, and there were many, was in perfect working order. It was also gloriously well-equipped and spacious. With an impressive kitchenette and king-size bed, most importantly though, it was his. Just sitting in the driver's seat gave him a boundless sense of freedom and untethered potential. His entire operation, his whole life, all situated in one vessel, fully mobilized with the turn of a key. On starting the engine in this first non-practice run, he felt a good deal of his anxiety wash away. The motorhome was filled with enough narcotics that he'd sooner risk a high-speed pursuit than be pulled over, though he's certain the vehicle was incapable of anything even resembling high speed. Still, he was heartened by the thought of finally regaining control of his own destiny. No longer were they senseless grazing ruminants, oblivious to the lions hiding in the grass. All right then, here we go, he said, when they pulled onto the first dual carriageway that evening. It was 9.30 p.m. and the roads were relatively clear. 
Till gave no response to this or any other comment he made in an effort to break the tension. After the first hour of driving, which consisted of no further navigation than northwards, he started mentioning vague details of the plan. Okay, babe, real talk. We need to start shifting some of these mushrooms pronto. It's the easiest, quickest thing to kick things off. So can you please get on the forums, get on EVAP and start taking orders? We'll find a postbox first thing and send them out. EVAP was an encrypted messaging application used almost exclusively by criminals. This is where he orchestrated the bulk of his magic mushroom trade. Psychedelic mushrooms, despite being highly illegal, were the most convenient items to shift of everything he cultivated. They were odorless and could be packaged in neat little vacuum sealed squares, making them incredibly easy to post. He'd also noticed a distinct increase in their demand over the last year or so, allowing him to steadily curate a comprehensive list of contacts on the little known app with buyers spread throughout the country. Any half-informed individual taking a glance at Matilda's bank account would have been deeply suspicious of the credits accumulating month by month. A profusion of personal transfers ranging from £400 to £200. And despite his constant remonstrations, he'd still find the odd moron citing shrooms as the payment reference. Tilda acknowledged his request with a silent nod and the unlocking of her phone. He was confident she could put her sulk on a hiatus disassociating her present feelings towards him with the business at hand. Aside from knowing he'd eventually need to stop somewhere, Marcus's options seemed unlimited. All he had was a range of unplanned destinations, half-soaked notions, and a full tank of diesel. The latter instilled him with the most hope. He could drive all night if he saw fit. Tilde was free to shuffle off to bed at any time, and every mile he progressed would add another between them and the growing number of people who wanted to do them harm. His plan was for them to live a nomadic life and stay away long enough for things to blow over back home. And suppose it didn't, then they'd permanently settle somewhere new. What was so beneficial about living in the overpriced outskirts of the capital anyway? He had no family to speak of, a few good friends perhaps, but he could surely make new ones. The more he reflected on it, the more he realized that Tilde was the only one truly making sacrifices. She had a mother she was close to, a sibling she saw regularly, and a string of loyal friends. Okay, we have to measure out seven standard portions of Liberty Caps, said Matilda, her eyes still locked onto her phone. Five different addresses scattered all over, but that won't matter, will it? No, he said, that won't matter. He found a lay-by along a country road and decided to pull into it. Why are we stopping here? Marcus sighed. Look, babe. Swiveling to the side, he gave his legs a stretch. I'm sorry about earlier, shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Till kept her eyes on a phone screen. No, you shouldn't have. I was just really stressed out. Apparently, my Bitcoin account was hacked. Your Bitcoin? He nodded. So this thing was out of our budget. Half of it was paid for with that eight grand we'd saved. And for the other half, I sacrificed the whole of my Bitcoin wallet. He gritted his teeth for about a quarter of what it was worth. She looked up at this. Oh, babe, you said that was your nest egg. It was. Turns out, though, he paused, making sure to lock eyes with her. The wallet was emptied. Till looked up now. Emptied? How? Couldn't tell you. Hackers, apparently. The point is, I passed the account over to this Russian geezer. He gave me RV, and now he feels like he's been cheated. Who is he? Some dude Amir linked me up with. Serge, I think his name is. I'm pretty sure he's not the type of guy you want to piss off. 
He made some pretty clear threats on the phone earlier. But you gave him the eight grand in cash. You can't help that the other account was hacked. If he accepted it, isn't that his problem now? I doubt he sees it like that. Anyway, he doesn't know our exact address. I met his guy by the garages where he dropped the RV off. I don't think they'll struggle to find out our house number. Why didn't you tell me this earlier? We had to leave. I knew it wouldn't be long before he came for the rest of that money. Jane needed that parcel today though, Kirst. It's a watch he was supposed to fix and send back tomorrow evening. He hasn't stopped blowing my phone up. Look, Till showed Marcus a string of notifications from her brother. Earlier that afternoon, he'd said, are you still in tomorrow for that parcel? Followed by, let me know ASAP, Matilda, it's important. Then three question marks. She'd also received 14 missed calls, the last of which attempted only a few minutes ago. Why didn't you tell him you're not in tomorrow? You could have maybe done something about it if you knew you weren't. No, because then he'd ask why, and I'm not ready to go into that yet. Marcus didn't bother asking for a reasoning. He knew there was an unusual dynamic between Tilda and her older sibling. It was as if she were physically incapable of disappointing him. Her parents were long separated, and he saw many similarities between his girlfriend and the mother who'd raised her, in both physical likeness and temperament. Freya, the Bangladeshi-born artist, was an incredibly free-spirited woman. Like Matilda, she was sweet and good-natured, fanciful and lacking common sense. Matilda adopted her mom's maiden name, Basu. Her considerably older brother, Jay, however, had been an adult at the time of the split, and it was telling that he went by their dad's surname, O'Doherty. It was much easier to see how he and his father were related. Although Marcus had only met Mr. O'Doherty a handful of times, it was clear that he was a stern man, cold and prone to bouts of instability and shortness of temper. And it was evident that the apple did not fall far from the tree. No matter how amiable Jay attempted to be when Marcus was present, any fool could detect the severe, passive-aggressive manner he occasionally adopted with Tilde. Most troubling, though, was a story she once shared with him in confidence. When she was a teenager, the two of them had had an argument which culminated in Jay trying to choke her. Marcus thought it best to stay out of family affairs, especially those long in the past. But he'd ever since been wary of the brother and held him in especially low regard. Look, without a signature, the parcel will just bounce back to the depot. He can go and collect it from there. Not without the slip he can't. Besides, he needs it tomorrow. I don't know what to tell you, babe. We're not going back. Tilde stared at him without saying anything for a moment. It was clear she wanted to contend this decision. Perhaps having more tangible details to grasp, however, like a Russian with an actual name, gave reality to this new danger. Would he not just call the police, this surge guy? Joking, aren't you? Think he'd sooner take the financial hit than have the pig sniffing around him? I see. Sounds like just the guy you want to do business with. Marcus shrugged. This thing was a bargain. Tilde rubbed her eyes and yawned. Where are we sleeping tonight? You can sleep wherever. What's that supposed to mean? You just need to put the sheets on the bed, he nodded behind him. I hadn't planned on stopping for a while. It's too late to find a campsite. We're not staying in a lay-by. Tilde often called Marcus a highly functioning insomniac. The idea of driving through the night did not seem like an ordeal. And at present, he was far too amped up to sleep. It also gave him comfort to try and put as much distance between them and home as possible in a single drive. If he felt his eyelids starting to feel heavy, He'd simply stop at a service station, splash some cold water on his face, and soldier on. Tilde stretched. 
Okay, well, don't forget about the deliveries. They're all on my phone. Despite grunting in the affirmative, Marcus had no intention of arranging the deliveries himself. She was the early bird of the relationship, and he'd sooner risk another argument tomorrow than hold his progress now. No, he thought, just keep driving. Let her post the gear in the morning. Marcus had been oscillating between several strategies of escape as he attempted to contend with the trauma of recent events. The further he considered it, the more his camper van plan had seemed like the only solid option. From his initial fantasies of hitting the road or sitting behind the wheel in the present moment, it still felt like the correct decision. All the freedom in the world could not keep the demons fully at bay though. The image of Gaz's hanging body still haunted him whenever he was left with a moment to think. The man's contorted, panic-stricken face, the way he helplessly scratched at the cable. Marcus knew these images might never leave him. He could only hope they would become less vivid over time. The dealer had developed a talent for suppressing unwanted memories. It came with practice. He'd been doing it since early childhood. Perhaps he'd overly romanticised this plan of indefinitely roaming. Just he and Tilde on a glorious, endless stretch of road with the occasional bit of work scattered here and there. The reality seemed far less certain. He was still the same person, with the same emotional baggage, no matter how far they travelled. He lamented his virtual nest egg, the one thing he thought he'd never sacrifice. Perhaps he should see the hacking as a blessing. He'd have lost his currency regardless. At least now he had a motorhome to show for it. Back on the lonely motorway, virtually deserted at this ungodly hour, and with tilled fast asleep, he felt his chest tight with apprehension. In the compartment to his right was a box filled with pre-rolled joints. He decided to light one. After 20 minutes or so, trundling down the slow lane, he could almost feel his disquiet start to dissolve. He flicked through radio channels, skipping songs and listening to the ones with chatter, anything that gave him some sense of inclusion and cheerful association. With a second joint burning a little while later, he found himself deeply engrossed in a lively discussion about the source of creativity. It was perhaps only the pleasant patter of conversation that captivated him, the bouncy cadence and energetic manner one woman conveyed her points with. The florid details, such as references to artists and musicians he'd never even heard of, sailed entirely over his head. Presently, he was in a nice, distracted groove. His eyes were fixed on the road and his mind wandered only in accordance with the resonances of the radio. He was finally starting to feel relaxed, achieving a peaceful apathy not experienced for weeks. Then he saw it in his rearview mirror a black Ford Transit with tinted side windows. It slowed down in the overtaking lane and moved behind him. Marcus froze with panic. Okay, that was J.W. Voice reading a sample chapter from his debut novel, Ending Samsara. The book is available right now, so click that link in the show notes for the book and to follow J.W. Make sure you're also clicking the link for all of our podcast friends and sponsors alike. Pick yourself up a free book for, from Audible on a free trial. And uh, don't forget that sale that's going on with Public. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next week when I'm back again with David H. Hanks, winner of the Nobel Prize, and his Carson Griffin series. We're going to be hearing about that next week, so click that subscribe button and we will see you then. Take care, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.